0: Welcome to The Probate Realtor Show, your one source for selling and buying real estate through trust and probate. Hear directly from the best attorneys and trusted advisors on how executors and administrators navigate the probate process in and out of court. Being a personal representative or successor trustee can be a daunting task, and often beneficiaries don't have a clear plan. Let us help you make the right decision for your clients, your family, and your legacy. And now, here's your host, the probate realtor himself, Matias Baker-Mazzucci.
1: Welcome, everybody, to another very exciting episode of our show. Today, we have a special treat for you. We are talking to Martha Patterson. Martha, welcome to the show. Martha is in the top 10 estate planning and elder laws attorney in California. She is the founder of Geisler Patterson Law. And today, we are going to be discussing trust administration with her. So first of all, Martha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Let's get right to our subject matter. Let me ask you this question where there's a lot of confusion around it. What is trust administration?
2: Well, it covers a bunch of things. But Mm -hmm. if you're the trustee and your loved one has just passed away, your job is now to manage all the money for them. It's not your money. You're now the trust manager. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out where it is. Sometimes that's not as easy as it should be. But figure that out we have to deal with the real property we have to make sure we handle all the affairs so you have to keep good records you have to give notice that the you know of the trust there's a bunch of little jobs you have to do before you pass on the money to the people who are the beneficiaries of the trust which may be you it may be you and your siblings you mm-hmm. may be managing for a third party and and not get anything other than your fee for acting as trustee right
1: okay, that's that's very important. Let me ask you a question. Now, sometimes, obviously you administer trust that you have done as an estate planning attorney. But I'm assuming at times you may end up administering trusts that were done by other attorneys or maybe you know, by online services. I don't know, you know what other ways there are to do to put a estate planning together, but there may be holes in the trust. That's what I was trying to get at. So my question to you is that how you deal with, for instance, Properties that are have been refinanced and are outside the trust and they were not bever- never been put in, or like bank accounts that don't have clear beneficiaries. How do you help someone navigate with a situation like that?
2: Okay, so that is a really the most common way we often end up in probate courts. So if you have real estate and you have a trust, but it is not in your trust, mm-hmm. still in your name when you're dead then we have to ask a judge to put it in and we have two methods and one is what's called a hex petition it's mm-hmm. under probate code 850 and 17200 and we say your honor this should have been in the trust they meant for it to be in the trust please put it in and there's a mm-hmm. case that says we can do that and that's you know can take it's you know its money and can take Anywhere, depending on what court you're in, Orange County right now at one point was four or five months to get a hearing. Mm-hmm. So wow. take time to do that. Same with bank accounts. Anything that is not, you know, in the name of the trust, so it should be, I'll use me, Martha Patterson, as trustee of the Martha Patterson Trust. If it mm-hmm. has Martha Patterson as owner, it's not in my trust. So if I was describe a trust working like a wagon if your toys aren't in your wagon they're not in your trust and they're outside so they have to go to probate court now there are a couple of judges in a couple of counties ventura county being one of them that are that are not easily granting these petitions anymore Mm -hmm. uh the judge in ventura county believes that the case law is wrong he's trying to convince other judges of that fact so they're not as automatic as they were at one time, LA and Orange County have been pretty generous about granting them, but we can't guarantee what will happen when I go to court and say, you know, right now it's about a ninety-five percent chance. But if there's nothing in your trust, so the biggest thing I see with the trust people do yourself, they do it online, is they have a trust and there's nothing saying that they intended for their house to be in their trust. It's not mm-hmm. listed on their Schedule A. Right. There, there was never a deed once putting it in the trust. There's no evidence and there's no evidence you meant for it to be in the trust. The court says, well, why, why should we believe you wanted it in your trust? Just because you did one. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then we have to go to probate and actually you have a trust, but you still end up in probate court. Right which is fine for me because I make more money, but you might not be so happy that I'm making more money on a probate than if we had just done the other cheaper petition. you know. And that's a warning that if you have a trust, you need to check, make sure the title is put in your trust. You know, I've got some sitting on my desk of, okay, one is written kind of goofy and, and sometimes people don't do the title correctly and we mm-hmm. still have to fix it in court. So that's um, a big warning. And the saddest thing is when a realtor didn't check the title before they got to the end, and it's an escrow and then title insurance usually catches it as they're recording. Mm -hmm. And Now everybody wants to close and they want me to go and ask the judge immediately to change it because they want to close the escrow and the court doesn't care that you have an emergency they're still going to make you wait the ridiculous amount of time to get your hearing and in LA it's 10 weeks but in Orange County it's longer and Riverside it's, you know, about 10 12 weeks. San Bernardino, I do, I'm not as, I haven't filed anything too recently in San Bernardino, so I'm not sure, but I'm gonna guess that they're 10 or 12 weeks as well. Orange yeah. County had to move their courthouse from Santa Ana to Costa Mesa, so they're running a lot further behind than the other courts. It was a gigantic project mm-hmm. that they had to accomplish.
1: Very good. And thank you for actually sharing those stories. This is a very important thing and advice for other realtors as well and advice for, you know, uh, successor trustees and and anybody who's selling real estate that it's either going through probate or holding a trust, check ownership. Make sure that they order a preliminary title report prior and people like Martha are, are your friend when you're selling real estate. So make sure that, you know, you communicate with them who owns the asset and don't do the HECSTAT petition at the end of the escrow when you're thinking, you know, you have to close because, you know, the court moves at their own pace. Um, so let, let's talk specifically about the mechanism that are involved when somebody becomes the successor trustee they experience the loss or they maybe they're you know they're not even their professional fiduciary or or whatever happened and you will be in charge of the trust administration. what are some of the steps that you take once somebody picks up the phone and calls you and says, okay Martha uh, the trustee has passed away. I am now the successor trustee. what do we need to do?
2: So the first thing we do is we you know, we get together, we, we read over the trust, see who are the beneficiaries, mm-hmm. and what does it say, so we know who they are. Uh, there's a mandatory probate code notice that gives, you know, you're supposed to, you have to send out, um, I always send a copy of the trust. The time limit, according to the law, is shortened if you send a copy of the trust. I always do the longest time limit just because... In my opinion, maybe a judge might give somebody a break to the longer time limit. So we, no mm-hmm. matter what, I just say, well, we're gonna wait you know, 120, 110 days or whatever it is. We wait, we mm-hmm. don't do anything until that period. But in that period, we usually aren't ready to do something. So it should go to all beneficiaries named, mm-hmm. in the existing trust, all of the heirs. So even if they disinherited somebody, that person is entitled to notice mm-hmm. in a copy of the trust. And if there's somebody who might or might not be an error, like the live-in girlfriend or boyfriend, Uh I always take the position giving them notice is better than not giving them notice because they could show up later and say, we didn't know and we Uh were really the spouse. And with a confidential marriage, you could not know somebody was a spouse. So I just take that abundance of caution and give that notice. And then we start gathering, you know, gathering all the assets and start start our accounting. So the next job is, okay, we have to inventory the estate. What mm-hmm. do we have? Okay, we inventory it. Um, most people start wanting to clear out the house. And then we start talking about how formally we're going to do that or informally, depending on how much tension there is in the family. If there's mm-hmm. a lot of tension, it can be very formal. Usually it's more informal for the stuff because it doesn't have much value. But we inventory and we start keeping really good bet records because if we have to do the court accounting, they're going to want accounting for every penny. If it's mm-hmm. more informal, you know, the informal accounting, here's what money we had when they died. Here's what bills we paid. Here's what you're getting. It's not going to count for every penny. And then out mm-hmm. of the state, the court is very picky about how to do the accounting. And it's not how you would normally do an accounting.
1: That makes sense. Yes, of course. A question I have for you is regarding to the accounting and all these requirements, let's say, you know, somebody who avails themselves of professional help, such as yourself, obviously, rather than trying to do it alone, which seems like a daunting task. When somebody asks you, Martha, what are my obligation in this? I'm a successor trustee. I don't know anything. I'm just the adult child. You know, I have siblings. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm assuming that a lot of people come to you Confused because you know, no, unless they're a professional fiduciary or you know a a corporate trustee, a lot of people do not know how to administer a trust and what what they need to do. So, what are some of the advice that you give people when they say, "Martha, I don't want to make any mistakes." You know, Um, I love my family. I want to do what is what is right. You know, I have siblings. I want to make sure that they get their money and all of that. What should I do to make sure I don't make any mistakes?
2: The first thing to not make mistakes really be meticulous with record keeping. And if you're not good yeah. with that, there are people that we can hire, we can send them all of the messy bank records and they can mm-hmm. start um, putting together all of the information for you because you have to have the accounting for all the money. Right. You just have to do that. Because if you don't and $10,000 is missing because you didn't do good record keeping, it's really there, but you've been at bad ca- record keeping, The court might say, you have to pay everybody 10,000 plus all the legal fees, and you wouldn't want to do that. So it could be a mathematical error for $10,000. You want to keep those really good records. The first thing I say, okay, we're going to start keeping records. You don't have to be a superstar record keeper to do this in a smaller estate. Okay. Every bank account, we're going to take that bank account statement from the day they died. We're going to start putting in a notebook we can use quickbooks or one of the software programs or we can use excel excel sometimes is your friend because mm-hmm. you put all sorts of stuff that goes to multiple accounts you know let's start keeping excel spreadsheets and keep copies of everything right. keep copy keep receipts that's the most important thing because later on when you're going to distribute everyone's going to go well you know, there, we thought there was $50 million in grandma's estate. And wait a second, there's only 1 million. Okay, I'm maybe, to be right. silly exaggerating, but I swear that's sometimes how people's attitudes are. Right. Uh, you know, Here's what we really had. Here's copies of everything so we can show them. And of course, if we have to go to court. They're gonna be even more meticulous about that. But if you keep the good records, most time you don't have to do the ultra extreme, more expensive court supervised accounting that somebody makes you do because they get copies of it. I believe that we start doing that record and we start communicating as early as possible so that we avoid those family fights. Um, that's always my advice. Let's, you know, get the record. Let's show them kind of what we have a little bit informally so that they kind of have an idea as we go along. If we have somebody griping and complaining and moaning about how they don't think you're doing a good job. I try and start, you know, communicating with them frequently so that hopefully they're not, you know, going to be going to the, some other attorney uh, to compel that court accounting because now we're talking a lot of expense to the estate. The trustee may be able to pay me to do that, but it still comes out of everybody's money that they would get, Uh, you know, from that into my pocket instead of their pocket. So, you know, most people would prefer it going in their pocket than mine.
1: That makes sense. Now let's talk about some of the notices that have to be sent prior, you know, aptly called notice of proposed action and and so forth. Um, What are some of the requirements that, you know, a successor trustee has to um, satisfy in order to take actions on behalf of the trust?
2: So if we're going to sell something like real property or maybe we're going to sell the stocks, we don't necessarily have to, but maybe we do need to, to pay bills or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to, you know, send notice, proposed action. I intend to sell, we'll mm-hmm. do the house because that's the most common one I, right. that I see yes. in the state. I'm going to sell the house for this amount of money at, you know, on this date to, you know, and we are very precise, exactly the terms of the sale. We let them mm-hmm. know it's 10 days, I always do 15. I always want to send it out as as soon as we know about it as possible. Uh-huh. That way, if we're going to get a complaint, we know about it. If there is a complaint, there's a court supervised overbidding that now becomes right. mandatory. Mm-hmm. Typically, there's not. Everybody's happy with the highest and best price. The realtor's done their job. Everybody uh-huh. moves on. But the earlier we send out the notice, I have had people not, you know, tell me that they did it. And we're like, we're here to close escrow. And it's like, well, you're going to have to wait for the notice. Now people can waive it. So sometimes right. we're um, saying, okay, here's the notice proposed action. Would everybody agree that they're okay with it? And we're running around at the end of a, to close the escrow with that notice, but it's better to tell everybody what you intend to do so that they know what's happening. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, very, very true. Very true. Now, even an airtight estate plan and a well-crafted living trust can in sometimes trigger litigation. What happens? What do you do in those cases? You're administering a trust and somebody shows up, it's the ex-girlfriend, the ex-wife, or somebody, and something happens, and maybe they've been disinherited, who knows? And litigation starts. Um, what Apart from keeping the records, which obviously helps a lot in court, and that's probably the primary thing, um, how do you prepare? You know, Do you refer litigation out first? Let me ask you this question, or do you litigate estate matters yourself?
2: In most cases, I'll refer it out. Um, okay. If somebody shows up that we didn't know about which Mm I had, I had a child we didn't know about show up. Um, Then I, you know, we found out about the child. So as soon as we heard about them, I sent them their notice. They contacted me and my job is for my client, the trustee and complained about it. I said, well, you need to hire an attorney. And they didn't, so they lost out. But if we have litigation, then we have to respond immediately. Um, Sometimes I might start out just because we don't have a lot of time You know, by the time we get it, there's a hearing in a few days and I want to make sure we show up and respond. Not responding is never a good thing. The most common, though, litigation is over that. The reason why I'm talking about the good record keeping is somebody says, hey, I think you stole money. I went the Mm -hmm. accounting. And so there is no contest clauses. So if I'm disinherited, although I don't really care because I'm going to get nothing, you know, people are going to look for undue influence. They're going to right. look for all those things. I usually refer them out. Sometimes I'm intimate, more intimately acquainted and I will defend them. Mm-hmm. I do not take them on as I'm not the one who you hire to litigate against somebody, but if right. it's a client, I right. might do the responding, uh, because especially if I think that it's just going to be prudent to settle a lot right. of times that claim. It's just cheaper to give them some money to make them go away. I call it a shakedown. Uh, then to, you would probably win in court, but by the time you litigate, you're $200,000 in the hole and you probably mm-hmm. don't want to do that. So if I'm taking it on, it's with the, the plan. Let's see how quickly we can settle this and move on with life yep. because you really don't want to spend money You would probably win fighting just because it costs so much.
1: Right. And that's actually what my next question was going to be. A lot of these disputes, not all of them, but a great part of it, I'm sure can be settled. You can make it go away by writing a check for, you know, for, for, and saving some money on litigation. So you assist with that. If you know that somebody just comes in and said, oh, I was owed, you know, I was promised $5,000 or whatever. And then, you know, you could, they somehow can prove legitimacy to that. You probably advise your client you know let's let's make this go away rather than you know get yourself involved in some litigation
2: right right it's sort of like the child who's been living in the house taking mm-hmm. care of mom and dad now we have to sell the house we need to get them out mm-hmm. um, we may not take it out of there share of the estate and give them enough money to help them move out and get it's called cash right. for keys. help them get yes. out and get on their feet and we don't we just going to say that's out of the whole pot and we're going to still split it equally because it's a lot cheaper than an eviction. Absolutely. It keeps the family still good friends afterwards and enables us to move on without uh, the acrimony that can last a lifetime. I mean, I have that story. I have some family members, distant family members, but I got involved in the fight. They uh, did not talk. For thirty over thirty-two years, and the only uh, reason why they end up talking is the public guardian. When the person who didn't talk to people fell, broke their hip, and was in a nursing home, uh, yeah. no longer competent, contacted the family. So you don't want to be that family member who right. hasn't talked for thirty years to your family because yes. you got mad and fought. So that's not good for anybody.
1: Yeah. And also, I wanted to take a little segue that uh, Cash for Key mentioned. Um, not only is it important because it makes it you know um, easier um, you know, for the estate, but also a house that is vacant, an apartment that is vacant is a lot is worth a lot more than an apartment that is occupied when wow. you are making the buyer take on the responsibility of having an unpaying tenant uh, because you know their family member that just are left behind. Um, that is a lot harder to market a property that way than it is. So it's always better to To do as you have advised, um, help somebody get on their feet and move out, so that the house, which is often the largest asset, the value can be maximized. Right. Um, so, thank you very much for sharing that. Let's talk about your journey. This is a you know fascinating. Obviously, you have an incredible track record and and being, you know, dual certification in California that is extremely rare, as you mentioned, estate planning and elder law. Did you want to be an attorney when you were a little kid?
2: Um, I actually didn't. I actually wanted to be a uh, physical therapist wanted to help disabled kids, oh, okay. um, but then uh, I wasn't good enough at chemistry to get into the physical therapy. <laughs> so, um, I so then I thought of being a a teacher and going into special ed, and that was actually my undergrad degree was kind of oriented towards that. However, oh, nice. I had a year where there was a low population, and they um, they made me wait a year, and I worked in a program. Mm-hmm. a job placement program where you would train development disabled adults, teach them how to work and how to do their timesheet. Beckman Industries had this great program where uh, high-functioning developmentally disabled adults would be able to work in the, on their building stuff on their floor and, and working in, in their company, some of danitors. Uh, so my job was to help them. And I realized as much as I love those people in that population that it was boring to me to work with them and so you know about september for some reason western state was had an open house and i decided My dad was a lawyer. So, um, I went, you know, I think I'll try law school. And so I say, I followed his footsteps. I actually remember his office being pretty intimidating. He was city attorney of Anaheim Uh until his death in 1973. And his office was really intimidating with all those big books and the libraries and the wood. And he had the big giant office, with the big chair, uh, there's some photos of his office on, uh, the Anaheim historical society, uh, with him in it. So it was pretty scary. And then I, I had a was a winning litigator and deputy city attorney for 10 years. Oh. But then with young children, litigation is a really hard life when you have kids. An attorney I knew from the Christian Legal Society did estate planning and said, hey, why don't you come and I'll teach you that. And so I ended up uh, leaving that firm and going to work for him. And he taught me estate planning and elder law because that was what he was doing. And that's how mm-hmm. I started. But Part of it had always been you know remembering you know art gray helping my mom when my dad died and that his kindness and helping her through that now i don't remember a lot because my mom really protected me from the financial mm-hmm. aspects but believe it or not 1973 the man's name was on almost every asset so he had had to help her through uh-huh. some probate processes and i just remember more of his kindness and he had always been an attorney i admired a lot uh, his son and i still see each other occasionally but uh art was kind of my mom's uh, attorney uh he's been gone now a long time but uh he's uh an honored member of our orange county bars so um yeah
1: that's that's a wonderful story thank you for sharing that with us before i let you go i always like to ask uh, so i have a list of uh 30 random question back of the business card questions okay. I'd love for you to pick a number between 1 and 30 and I will ask you that question
2: Okay how about 15? Oh, 15 on the yes if you could have
1: one superpower what would it be
2: My superpower would be to have everybody Uh, do what they're supposed to do and follow the rules and be kind to one another. If I had a superpower, I would just wave magic wands and have people do what they're supposed to do and be nice to each other. (laughs) That's wonderful. That's wonderful.
1: I'll tell you a story. I have, I have four little kids. They're all under the age of seven. And in my house, we have a big board, like where we put our, our, family menu, you know, every, every night we decide, you know, what we have for dinner and things like that. We plan it for the whole week. And on that board, I have two things written. I have two things that are written in in bold. They're called house rules. Number one is keep the house clean. Number two is be kind to each other. Those are the only two rules in the Mizuchi household. Yeah. <laughs> so I can really uh, understand the kindness portion.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I really think that, you know, uh, the world would be so much better if people would just, you know you know, be nice to each other. And really put other people first and 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 when we talk about trustee, actually, and they're supposed to put everybody first, they're not the first person, even if right. they're there. Everybody else is more important than them. Uh, they have to you know concede to their, They always think it's them and they're the big shot, but really they're not. so yeah.
1: and it's interesting how the law has that uh, you know has it set up that way to so so that it almost has a religious connotation, you know of like do what is best, you know for the others first yeah. so so that's that's very interesting martha i'm going to have your contact information in the show notes and and all the information that will lead to your website uh, which is very informative um but to for our audience could you let them know if somebody needs to get a hold of you what is the best way to reach you
2: so my office number is um eight six six four five two nine, six, five, seven. I'm elderlawmom.com. I do that because otherwise people forget my name and there's only one elder law mom and that's me. So, and that also is because, you know, I really treat everybody like their family. And I also, when you say the elder law, I also do have a dementia focused practice. So if you have a loved one with dementia, I'm your gal. Uh, I'm the person to call because you need to plan for not just what happens if you die, if you don't die and end up in dementia. I want you to stay out of our corrupt conservatorship court. You might have seen Britney Spears and how bad it was. It is that bad for everybody.
1: Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Very, very informative. That is absolutely true. Conservatorships are, are something that, that you want to uh, avoid and make your plans before that happens. Yeah. Um, thank you very much. It's been such a delight to have you on the show. Uh, I'm going to wrap up our episode. You can stay on after after I close. I do our closing remarks. But thank you, everybody, for joining. And bye. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to The Probate Realtor Show. Find more episodes and interact with us at probaterealtor.la. That's probaterealtor.la. Listen, ask questions, and get results. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The probate realtor Matias Baker-Mazzucci is a licensed real estate broker in California DRE number 02054763. Any legal information provided is for informational purposes only and not for the purpose of providing legal advice. Contact an attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal issue or problem. We make no guarantees as to the accuracy of any information. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.